you may be seated. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at the starting point of our Lord Jesus and his ministry. And uh, it's always good in order to stay on track to go right back to the foundation, right back to the basics. And um, the inception period, the starting point, Jesus spent 30 years in the carpenter shop in Nazareth under his stepdad, Joseph, and his mother, Mary, with a heart after his heavenly father. As a Jewish boy, he would have studied the Hebrew scriptures profusely and been observant to the law and listening to the prophets and feeding off the Psalms of David and getting his bearing and direction like we are. And... Uh, you know, he, in fact, was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, and he, in fact, read from the book of Isaiah about himself. And um, what I like is uh, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. Boy, that's a... That's an amazing verse. Why does the Holy Spirit have Isaiah articulate it with such details? It's like a multifaceted diamond, a, a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone. Why? For the foundation, firmly placed. And then it says, he who believes in it will not be disturbed, or the King James says, will not make haste. So uh, there's a lot of disturbance in our world. There was during the Roman occupation of Palestine during Jesus' beginnings in his childhood uh, and the beginnings of the early church with the Apostle Paul and Peter and the others. Uh, there was challenge around uh, Babylon when Daniel got so much detail about these days we're in now. And uh, for Joseph, with the dreams and visions he had, that caused him uh, you know, so much joy and so much impetus, but also so much challenge and trouble. It made his brothers jealous. And he had a lot of disruption throughout the, the uh, time. But yet, uh, the word tested him and he came forth like gold. And uh, Jesus is here being baptized by John in the Jordan. And the Baptist, his cousin. And then uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Luke, we read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness and for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So right off the bat, right out of the chute, Jesus goes and transitions from his carpentry work to his kingdom building responsibilities and immediately the devil is, is on him, attacking him. And... Um, I just want to bring some points to you note takers. Number one, initially, when God created everything, it was glorious and beautiful. And you should read the first part of Genesis chapter one and two before three happens where the devil comes in to tempt Eve and Adam, they fall and then this fallenness takes over. There's pre-fall glory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it was beautiful. And uh, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. God liked it. But then when sin entered in, 
disobedience, uh, all hell broke loose. But then, number three, uh, then what happened was Adam and Eve had that authority, but they forfeited it. Now the devil is the small g, God of this world. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to get chapter and verse on that. Uh, he, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That explains some things about the news cycle. That explains some things about the gas pump. That explains some things about attitude uh, that festers at different times and different seasons. So it helps us to understand and have a biblical worldview where we, we understand the why of what's behind some of these happenings going on around us. Well, if God's so good, then why is this happening? It's happening because Adam and Eve forfeited their their position, and Lucifer is temporarily the god of this world. And um, but yet, good news: Jesus came and destroyed the work of the devil, and we have authority and we have victory. Thank you for that. Amen. That's the right time to amen it. I wouldn't amen the fall of man, but I would amen the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, we're having Easter. Uh, Good Friday is April 15th. Uh, Easter egg hunt for the children. We're going to reactivate after a couple of years, finally. We need some help with that. And then we have Easter services, sunrise service out in the parking lot, and then 8, 930, and 1115. So I am, hallelujah, looking forward to the New Year's Day of the church because that is the turning point. This is three years prior to that turning point. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. But we have authority restored to us and victory imparted because uh, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And whatever you're facing on a personal level, I'm telling you, God has answers for it. This couple over here, mom just died, 83 years old. And uh, here's a brother over here who's battled some health issues, but he said he got the best report in 15 years just this week. His friend over there told me about how he took him to the doctor and how he was in so racked with pain. And so we, we started to pray and he's been, they've all been, we've all been praying. Some of these protracted battles are sometimes ridiculous and obnoxious, yet we are more than conquerors and we fight the good fight of faith. Uh, so also, if you're taking, <laughs> writing down numbers, number five, uh, yeah, we endure momentary light affliction, don't we? The Bible says this is a momentary light affliction. We, we, we often talk about, I'm, so, I'm under attack, I'm under attack. You know what? I'm tired of confessing I'm under things. I'm the head and not the tail. A long time back, I got the adjustment. I'm, I, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. I'm not denying the problems. I'm just denying them the dominance over my life because the greater one lives on the inside of us, and he gives us authority, and he gives us victory. Can I hear an Amen. So then, uh, uh, which cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. There's a weightiness that's coming upon the church that's on us now. While the world is going flimsy, God is causing us to go deep and, and, and go wide and go far in the, in the totality of redemption. We are more than conquerors. This is what faith feels like. It's a battle. It's a fight of faith, but it's a fight that we win. And um, I want to say this to you. Lastly, number seven, we have a job to do down here on the, in this fallen world. This isn't heaven yet, but we are going to get some skill about flowing with Jesus in these upcoming days on our mission 
as co-laborers with him, as prayer warriors, as givers and contributors, as soul winners. Oh, hallelujah. I'm excited. He that is wise wins souls, it says in Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. But Jesus had to face off with the terrorist himself, and the devil began to tempt him, and uh, he had eaten nothing for 40 days, and when that had ended, he became hungry. So the devil slithers in and starts attacking him on this fundamental need, this primal need for food. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So he pointed apparently to a, a, a rock that looked like a loaf of bread on the side of the road or whatever in the wilderness. Jesus answered him and said, it is written. Say it is written. Just on the short note of this sermon, your answer to all the temptations, tests, and trials is the it is written of God. And Jesus used it. Jesus furnished it. He supplied a directive for us. And if it worked for Jesus, and if it was good for him, in the hottest temptation probably of anybody, Moses, Elijah, anybody, Abraham, throughout the Bible, even Adam and Eve's temptation, this had to be, I'm convinced, the most white-hot, difficult battle that any, had any, anybody had ever faced. Because Jesus, the great high priest, listen, pay attention to this, he is familiar with and is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. I believe, unlike Moses, a greater one than Moses has come. Moses was amazing, but Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the redeemer. Moses was a type and shadow of what Jesus was to bring. Moses brought the law. Jesus brought the fulfillment of the law. Amen? Bible even says there's one greater than Moses. Moses would say amen to that. Moses and Elijah, the greatest prophet, Elijah, and they met on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Peter, James, and John, and had this little moment that was so holy. Can I tell you, these mountaintop moments are coming upon the church. This revelation, like Paul said, I know a guy that went up to the third heaven and saw things that he can't even describe. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things God's prepared for those who love him and believe in him and trust him. How many of you love him? You believe in him? You trust him? And it's not feeble. He's not weak toward you. And the reason you love him is because he first loved you and the lights went on and his abundant grace has made you aware of this. And God is actually wanting to heighten the awareness to the lost souls around us. And he wants to deploy you and me in a new activation in the midst of all this shaking, war in Europe, gas prices going over $5, wondering where to put our kids in school, all the variables, the crazy challenges that we're seeing in this transitional time. But yet it is written. Everybody say, it is written. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. So apparently Jesus was meditating on Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. I have another ministry friend who texts me every week. We text back and forth from another state. And he said, uh, you know, if, when you feed on the word of God during the good times, you'll be able to stand during the hard times. So don't slack. Don't just scramble when it gets bad. Keep feeding on the word of God. Keep, keep inst receiving instruction from the Lord, right? It'll add length of days. It'll add years of life. It'll add strength to you. It'll help you to be prepared. And that's what I'm believing God for, for these meetings. That's why I'm going with these foundational things 
This stone, this tested stone, costly cornerstone, is for a foundation, and it's firmly placed. Why? Because when so that, he or she who believes in it will not be disturbed, make haste, be freaked out, panic, have anxiety or depression, but will motor through the ridiculous challenges of life. I'm certain God's doing great things for Ukrainian Christians right now. We're in touch with some, and we know God is fortifying them, strengthening them, being with them, protecting them, delivering them. There are miracles going on that aren't being reported in the news, but God is moving and strengthening. He causes his church to triumph no matter what in all situations. Now listen, then the devil led Jesus up and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all these, all this domain and its glory. I'll give you, the devil says to the Lord Jesus Christ, look at the audacity of this tempter. Look at all this. I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it, I will give it to whomever I wish. You wonder why some are exalted in, in, in their diabolical in their tone? It's from this right here. And, uh, and notice Jesus doesn't say, I rebuke you, you liar. You're lying. You don't have that authority or domain. He actually does have that authority or domain. And it was, was it handed? He said, it wasn't handed to you. Oh, yes, it was handed. And who handed it to him? Not God. It was Adam and Eve who had been handed that authority. And Adam and Eve had that lateral authority delegated by God. And they forfeited it in that terrible moment in Genesis chapter 3. And... Uh, but yet Jesus said, he says, therefore, if you've worshiped before me, it, will, it shall all be yours. Now, I want to tell you, he had a destiny to get this authority restored. But it wasn't going to be by uh, uh, coercion or by bowing to the devil. This was a temptation for him to get it prematurely and in the wrong way. And he was not going to do it prematurely or in the wrong way. He was going to get it by the proper obedience and, and the right steps and so he said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he went right there to the commandment in Deuteronomy and said, I'm not bowing to you. And, uh, and then he led him to, the, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, quoted Psalm 91, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. See, here's the devil using it, it is written. The devil will quote scriptures to believers. If, and, and you say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus is the epitome of belief, and he was being told by the devil the word, and Jesus was the, the, the word made flesh. How The audacity of this distorted, warped Lucifer. God didn't make him evil. God made him with opportunity. He chose evil. The devil fell, and now he loves to... Misery demands company, right? This, I hope, helps you a little bit because it brings clarity. He said, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. That's right out of Psalm 91. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him. And see, this is important. This is foundational. This is a foundational teaching for Sunday morning that you learn to bow up, pin your ears back, get beady eyes, square off, plant your feet, throw your shoulders back. And just like Jesus, 
It is written, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Jesus being blow by blow pummeled by the tempter. This is foundational. This is the beginning of his ministry. And this is what Paul had to deal with. This is what the early church had to deal with. This is what the church through World War I and World War II in Europe had to deal with. This is what the, the foundations of the Pentecostal movement from 1905 on in North America has had to deal with. The Welsh revivals and all the Jesus movement I'm a part of. The word movement that I'm a part of. The, the amazing potential that's right out before us that you and I are all to be part of. And so we look at this, we go to this costly cornerstone and see the anchoring moment of his beginnings. And we draw from it. What do we derive from it? That Jesus has set a precedence. Jesus is showing us a pattern. He's revealing to us exactly what he did when he was being tempted by the devil, and therefore exactly what we're to do when we're dealing with various temptations, tests, and trials. Say, it is written. Now, this is why we need to feed on our Bibles and study the Word of God. Study and meditate on the Scriptures. The Bible says night and day. And um, so that we can be armed and so that we can be aware. I, I, you know, my son Kingston, the, the redhead that was leading worship, my youngest son, when he was away at college, he uh, was out and about and uh, he talked to, a, uh, there was a homeless guy that was on the, over by where he, his campus was and he, he gave him something and he was talking with him and then he found, Kingston found something so amazing, he called me to tell me, he said, Dad, I, I, I got in this thing with conversation with this guy and I found out there were scriptures and ideas coming out of me that I didn't even know they were in me. So I just listened, you know, I just got quiet because it, it was a role reversal. You know, he was telling me a thing or two, you know, and I was celebrating it. It was like, it was like I didn't even, I, I, it just flowed out of me, Dad. It just flowed out of me. So there was this broken man that needed encouragement, and Kingston began to minister to him. And, uh, you know, Kingston is unpretentious. He's not particularly like a religionist, you know, uh, it's got to be real for these, these preacher's kids. Preacher's kids, they've got baloney detectors. They, they, are, they live in a glass house. They, it's got to be real, you know. And preacher's kids are great for preachers because they'll call you out, man. And they know you, they know you when you're in the anointing, and they know, they know their parents when they're, they're not in the anointing. And when they're in the flesh, it, it, I'm using religious terms just basically to say that they have to see Christian life uh, for what it really is, and then pursue, and then they tend to really hunger for authentic, that which is authentic. That they can detect when people are, when there's an embellishment and artificiality. And uh, I think the world has bat ears for hypocrisy and bat ears. You know how they throw out a sonar? Bats throw out sonar. So do uh, 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 porpoises and dolphins. They throw out sonar, and it comes back. It's trippy. Bats throw out sonar and they could fly in the dark. The world is flying in the dark and they throw out sonar and they're looking for the real thing. The real thing. The real thing. This is the real thing right here. This is foundational. Jesus goes out there and the devil slams him. But he says, it is written. It is written. It is said. It is written. 
And it's because he's been meditating during the good times in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Isaiah, the book of Psalms. And, uh, and the devil, look what it says here in verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. That verse 13 is very foundational. It is very telling about the nature of our enemy. That opponent has a beginning, a middle, and an end to every temptation, every test, every trial. I think that's one of the reasons why when James, the Lord's brother, said, count it all joy when you encounter various temptations, tests, and trials, you know that the trying of your faith will produce it's more precious than gold, and you're going to get through it. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're going to get through it. Because you're more than a conqueror. Say it. Look back at him and say, quit looking at me like that. We need to turn and encourage each other. You're going to get through what you're going through. The widow over here is going to come through her sorrows. The, 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 the son and the, the daughter that just lost their mom, they're going to work through. They're going to have the breakthrough. The friends that know their, their, their friend is close to death and we're believing God for a good transition. We know God's going to sort that out. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in his presence, there is what? fullness of joy and at his right hand there's what pleasures forevermore so when people leave this earthly life it is not morbid or dreary that's why we don't grieve like the world grieves we've got inside information we're privy to the fact that Jesus who was a carpenter he's the one who's also ever living to make intercession and he's preparing a place for us and there it's a mansion and it's beautiful I think the mansion is not necessarily the quality of the housing but the atmosphere of the block. If the streets are gold and the gate is pearl and the sea is glass, and the best part of it is Jesus is the light that brightens the whole blooming place. Think about that. But don't be in any big hurry. We've got a work to do down here in this life. I said we've got a work and a job to do in this life. And this is why this pastor's preaching what he's preaching on Sunday mornings. I've got just about eight more minutes to share about 20 minutes more of information. But verse 14 says, Jesus, well, also the second thing about the devil is he said he left him for an opportune time. Everybody say opportune. That shows us the devil's a quitter, but he also is an opportunist. I don't like quitters and I don't like opportunists. I like people that take advantage of opportunity. That's a whole different thing. Opportunism is a manipulative thing. Opportunism is, uh, I'll kick you while you're down. An opportunist waits until you're vulnerable to attack or seizes on a situation where they get something for nothing or take advantage of somebody. It's a take advantage kind of a thing. That's why we're not, I repeat, we're not, we're absolutely not to give the devil an opportunity. Ephesians chapter 4 says, do not give the devil an opportunity. In fact, let's just close the door, kick out the devil right now. No opportunity. Don't carry bitterness toward people. Say this with me. I forgive everybody. I receive forgiveness for myself. I thank you for the blood of Jesus covering all the deal. Amen. Little of that goes a long way. Now, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You hear that? He didn't come back depleted. He 
He didn't come back going, you guys, I've been so attacked by the devil. I I just started my ministry. I got kicked in the head five times. He kept saying, eat this bread, turn a stone, and I'll jump off the devil's ass. (laughs) He didn't do that. He came back strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the God of all comfort, the supernatural strength, and news about him spread throughout the region. Hey, man, Jesus is on the scene, and he He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And look what he says. He finds uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. It just so happened that the rabbi was reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It just so happened. That Jesus comes in. What a coincidence that he, he goes into the synagogue and the, the scripture is rolled to this particular. It, now, there's not these books with, with the binding and with these loose leaves. It, it's a scroll, either made out of papyrus or vellum, which would be the uh, skin, animal skin, one or the other. And it's rolled and it's handed to him. And he opened the book, boom, and found the place where it was written. See, we need to open the book and find the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book like mic drop and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Boom. Everybody say boom. In the eyes of all, like olives on toothpicks, like a cartoon, like eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now that brought a mixture of response. Some, it was joy. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And some, it was consternation and jealousy. Everybody say, boo, hiss. Yeah, you don't want to say that because you're the hallelujah people. But at this point, people got so upset that they tried to throw him off the brow of the hill. But Jesus turned around and walked right through it. And, and God is calling us to turn around and walk right through it. And, and, and when we believe in him and we get this, we will not be disturbed. Say, I shall not be moved. Say, I'm like a tree planted by the water. I'm on a firm foundation. Jesus is Lord of my life. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. Do you know that? He anointed you. You're anointed. You say, well, that's for Jesus. I know. Well, that's for ministers. I know but that's also for every one of us because in Revelation chapter one, he calls all of us to be priests unto God, right? We need to understand the priesthood of each believer and our position and our role. This is precedent setting, isn't it? As it goes with the head, so it goes with the body. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have gotten saved and therefore you're a member of the body of Christ? Okay, then the head, you have the mind of Christ. You're attached to and connected with the head of the church, 
the Lord Jesus. How many of you are part of this church? You're, 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 this is your church. So we're part of this local body, and there's this uh, global b- body of believers all over the planet that are uh, the bride connected to the bridegroom, the body connected to the head. That imagery is amazing, isn't it? And so we, as Jesus, can say, as it was with him, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You say, how dare we? Do you have the audacity? What scripture do you have for that? I'm glad you asked. Joel said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Joel chapter 2, another Hebrew prophet. Peter repeated it, quoted it at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And he said that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions and so forth. Signs and wonders. We believe in that. And uh, so, just like what this prototype job inscription, a job, job description, uh, we need to let it be so present in our lives. Say this with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Come on. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So first and foremost, we need to get back to our first love and back to this foundational truth and realize that this stone, this tested stone, this costly cornerstone that paid such a price at the beginning of his earthly ministry, this is the one we embrace, this is the one we stand by, and as Jesus followers then, the Bible is the trustworthy guide and basis for our faith and for our conduct, and that what the Bible says is right. So when Jesus is saying, it is written, and there's so much potency and so much authority and the, Paul the Apostle even said the word of God is, a, is like a two-edged sword. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said it's like a two-edged sword. And Paul said in Ephesians 6 that it's a, a, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So the imagery of a sword, it can cut through all the... You ever use a machete in a, in the, to clear out uh, uh, the woods or, or clean... Anybody ever... I mean, I, if I was in Costa Rica, everybody would raise their hand because they all carry a machete and a sheath and... Like, I visited Costa Rica, and I, picked, I found a really beautiful machete. I brought it back to my, my son, who was about five. <laughs> what was I thinking? And I, I, I drove home. We had a, we had a, a, a carport. Uh, it was kind of a simple carport on this old farmhouse that had been added on. And it had a four-by-four four post in the middle, and then four-by-four. Four, yeah, yeah. What are all those notches doing on that? And then our fence, it was a beautiful fence line, oak fence. Why are, why are all these notches on the, and then these trees? Why are these trees oozing sap and what? And then I, it was my fault. I gave a, I gave a five-year-old a, a machete. What was I thinking? Don't call the Department of Family Services. He survived. No limbs were lost. No fingers were, no digits were cut off. But on the other hand, For the purposes of this message, God, in fact, has given us the sword of the Spirit to cut through the, 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 the chaos and cut through the darkness. You ever hear people say, 
It was so thick you could cut it with a knife. You feel that. Must have, Jesus must have felt that in the wilderness. I feel it. I felt it when I was a teenager in the Jesus movement times, in the turbulence of anti-war demonstrations, race riots, all the ecology concerns, all the conflicts in that particular setting. Anybody remember that time? It seems even more accentuated, more amplified now, but yet, you know what? Jesus has undiminished. That power and authority he's invested in each one of us is, is, is intact. And it, it's so uh, uh, major that we understand this. And the whole reason I'm preaching this, as it's 9.01 and I'm out of time, is this stone, this tested stone, this costly cornerstone, this example of, I want to encourage all of you to go home and read Luke chapter 4. You guys on, online, after we turn this off, go back and reread and meditate on these verses. Probably in these next uh, services, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live stream these next services, I will bring out some things out of 2 Corinthians and out of Romans. You guys that are in this first service, every weekend at St. Louis Family Church, due to the way I'm wired, I, I'm a, I'm a uh, spontaneous preacher. I study, I write my notes. I've got some amazing copious notes here. I study, I got up super early in the dark, I stayed up late, I came down here and prayed yesterday. I believe in God, but next services will probably be entirely different than this service. You ever want to go to a three-week uh, conference, you come to St. Louis Family Church for one weekend and you'll get it. Because uh, my cup runneth over and I'm excited about it and very enthusiastic about this. Say this with me, God has a plan for my life. And it's a good plan. God wants to use me as a carrier of his presence. I'll go out and share the gospel in creative ways, in thoughtful ways, in sincere ways, in a timely way with my neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, people all around me are going to hear and know about Jesus. I won't be obnoxious. I won't be rude. I won't be goofy. I'll be led by the Spirit. God will use me. And the outcome will be amazing. The ripple effect of souls coming into the kingdom will perpetuate multitudes coming to the Lord Jesus. People will be raised up out of depression. People will be raised up into hope. Vision will be elevated. Signs and wonders will occur. Bodies will be healed. Minds will be renewed. Relationships will be saved. Lives will turn around. Because the greater one lives in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can abase. I can abound. I can get along with humble means. I can get along in abundance. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. Amen? Say this with me. It is written. Next time the devil messes with you, say it is written and find a verse corresponding to that. It is written. You've got a child that's loved Jesus and through COVID they've drifted. They got detached from church. I've seen that. And they've been making bad decisions. I've sown seed. I've trained them up in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from the way. You see, kids that have gone cold for 5, 10, 15 years, God sent laborers to cross their path. 
devil, you just keep off of them. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You get off of them. You have friends that were really doing great in stride and something's hit them and clipped them in the knees. You can take a stand. You contend with the enemy and command them to get off your friend and get off their, their thought life and get out of their household. In the name of Jesus, right? Let's all stand up on our feet. Hallelujah. Everybody say a costly cornerstone. Jesus means everything to me. Turn around and look at somebody and say, you look 10 years younger than you did when I first saw you. God bless you guys. Go out and have a great day. Enjoy yourself. Sign up for the church cleanup day on the beginning of April. And come and work for the egg hunt and have a blessed afternoon. God bless you. Go get a nap today. <laughs>